0: Hi, I'm Pastor Kenneth Olusaya of the Vivified Ministries, and it is my joy that your heart is awakened to the finished works of Christ with such powerful simplicity. Are you ready? All right, here we go. The title of the teaching is called "Bubwe." Bubwe, if I'm not mistaken, <laughs> in Yoruba it means um, all things or everything or a mix of many things in one. And I struggled to find a teaching uh, title for today. And that just seemed to fit the description. It's all-encompassing. And so as Paul is writing to the Thessalonians, he's wrapping up his epistle. And he's saying, look, I mean, the first part of his epistle to them,
1: there is second Thessalonians. Maybe some
0: other time we will check that. Um, but as he's writing to them, he's saying all these things um, to them. And he's wrapping up, giving them things he believes will be supplemental for their growth and their progress in the faith. He's like, look, I'm leaving you with these words. There are many, but take as much as, as you can. And the ones that pertain to you, receive them. Does that make sense? So I'm going to be barraging you as well with these because I wish we could spend more time. But because of the work we have to do in preparing for inaugural service, the next two Sundays we're going to have, we're going to spend it praying. Gonna spend it preparing ourselves for the work to come so that we are not caught unawares. That's exactly what um, I I want to do with this next two Sundays. So we're gonna wrap up this series. We've come a long way, right? Yes, My goodness. And we're wrapping up today and, and I'm so excited for it. I want you if you miss anyone, go back. There's nothing that should be missed in this teaching series. Exploring First Thessalonians, as I beg you. Okay? So let's get right into it. The Lord told us this. Um as we transition into this year, that he wants us to raise well rounded believers. Well rounded believers. believers. I hope this thing is not too loud. Well rounded believers across the ministry. People that could be considered prototype believers. I mean, that you can be called, you are the example of what a Christian should be in the way you speak, in the way you act, in the way you. You talk and conduct yourself. I can just say, you are a believer. If I'm more so to be able to say that you remind me of Jesus. That's a big deal. And that's what we're going to do by the grace of the Lord. Amen. Amen. So this kind of helps us do that. When you have instructions, instructions are good for you. I want you to, to remember this and renew your mind when it comes to commandments and instructions in the scripture. They are good for you. They are good for you. That God's idea of building the church. God uses instructions to guide our actions, to curb the flesh and give the Spirit a chance to express Himself in your life. Praise the name of Jesus. So, it's important that you have instructions because when the instructions come, which are the Word of God, and when the Spirit of God come, the Word and Spirit, the fusion of both of them produces fruits in our lives. Say it loudly, men, if you believe it. And so you're going to see fruit in your life by the time we're done with this teaching. So much to talk about, but I'm going to go through it as much and as quickly as I can. Are you ready? So turn your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We are starting from verse 12. We have about 17 verses to cover. And by the grace of the Lord, we will do it, guys. And in good time. Amen. 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 (laughs) Some people's amens are louder than than you'd expect it's as well. There's a, there's a verse that's for you. If you shouted amen it's for you here's about honor. Wow. <laughs> verse 12. Are you there? It says this, And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. So here it's saying you are to identify people that are over you in the body of Christ. And by over you, this is not some hierarchical system, those who will dominate you, oppress you, manipulate you, none of that. He's saying there are people amongst you who have risen in leadership, not to be authoritarianists in their approach, but to serve. There are people who have labored over you. That's the word. Those who labor over you and are over you, you have to recognize them the gift in their life and celebrate them he's talking about he's talking about ministry gifts and the thing is this in every organization if there is no leadership present the organization will fail and it will crumble every business that you see in place every organization in place took this idea from God himself there is leadership Amongst spiritual beings, there's leadership. Celestial beings, there's leadership. Amongst humans, there's leadership. There is. Amongst animals, there's leadership. And in God's body, his family, his church, there is leadership. They are just people who God has called and separated, not because they are any more special, but out of the, the,
1: should I say, glory of
0: his will, out of the... The, f- the freedom of his will to choose whom he, will, he would, you know, give that opportunity to. And many times leadership can be, uh, this is my perspective anyways, there are no born leaders. No one is born a leader, to be fair. I mean, some people are put in a position where maybe because they are parents or in leadership, so they have to follow suit. But no one is really born a leader. Leadership is something that you desire that you pursue and that you accept, right? At the end of the day, even if there's a call to leadership, it must be accepted, and you must grow in your ability to lead. You're not just endued with some... And, and there's, there's those, I, I mean, that's a gift of the spirit, the gift of leadership, where supernaturally, you just know how to do certain things. But like that, when you have a gift that, does not, that is not groomed with skill, it will not go far. So the point I'm trying to say is this two things just because you are not recognized as a leader or something doesn't mean you can never be a leader god is calling us especially those of us in this generation into a phase where many of us will have to step into leadership positions whether we like it or not like for the sake of the gospel we will need to come out of our comfort zones we will need to put ourselves out there and serve god's body and his church does that make sense But the priority here, again, he's actually focusing on honor. Of those who are already over you, over those who are overseeing you, caring for you, your lead pastor, the associate pastor, the ministry gifts in an assembly, God wants you to honor them, the figures of authority around you. Verse 13, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace amongst yourself. Right? So he's saying, with these people, don't just recognize them, but do what? This is a scripture. In fact, sometimes when I look at the scripture, I love it when it comes to me honoring those who have gone ahead of me. I love it because they deserve it. And sometimes I wrestle with it when it has to be done to me. Like some of you know, know that about me. But, but the scriptures are clear. Esteem them very highly. How highly? Very highly. In what? In love. For their works. And for the sake that they are laboring. Countless hours in prayer, Bible study. Man, oh my goodness. (laughs) Esteem them highly.
1: But I want to ask you a
0: question. It's a very important question, by the way. What is the relationship between familiarity and honor? What is the relationship between familiarity and honor? There's this common saying. I want to hear your thoughts. Be ready to type and, and share your thoughts on this. I will read it after the service. Um, what do you think about this saying that over-familiarity breeds dishonor? That it encourages dishonor? Do you believe that? That if you're over-familiar with a person, easily you can dishonor them. I'll give you an example. <laughs> Very personal example. So you know me, for those of you who know me, you know me. If you don't know me, nice to meet you. Um, But I'm someone who likes to play a lot. In fact, growing up, I was the clown of the family. I was the clown of the class. I was just a clown (laughs) everywhere I went. And of course, when you're that kind of person, you crack jokes, you look nice, you have a good sense of humor. The tendency for people to take advantage of that or to look down on you is very high. So, I mean, there was one time there was someone who came to ask a Bible question. I cannot forget this. This was in my 200 level. I was still growing in the faith, which I'm still doing now, but I was in a position where I could teach and I love to teach.
1: And this person came to ask a Bible question,
0: and I was I can't forget, I can't remember the exact scripture, but we we're talking about it. And I cracked one nice joke. It was nice. Argue with yourself. Mm-hmm. It was a nice joke. It was sweet. It was on point. The cadence, the timing, the delivery, on point. And then the person who came to, to receive from the Lord from through me, said this. Uh, the kind of dead joke is that you yeah, are very silly. I, I'm, I'm not even sure if he said silly or stupid, but I'll, I'll, let's go for the less damaging one. And the person just said it to my face. I was like, ha, <laughs> and now me cousin, <laughs> now me lago. So I I made a decision. I can't forget. I made a decision and see, I will just be uptight and serious. When you come here, bless you, brother. In the name of you, bless you, sister. It is well with you. Greet you yeah, I greet you with with virtual high five. Take it. Stay. You know, just be uptight. And, and it didn't work. <laughs> my my funny side or my funny bone just always always let me down, but my question is this, is it possible for you to be very familiar with someone, in fact, you see them at their lowest sometimes, you see them at their best sometimes, and you still honor them, is it possible? I wanna know what you think. I wanna know, be honest, do you think it's really possible? If you can also help me read out some of the answers, I don't mind, my my theme here, if you don't mind, please. I want to just hear your honest answer. Let's just wait for a while for people to bring it in. People have sent it already, okay. Sure, yes, yes, just yes, share. So, Dami says, I think it depends. Someone said, okay, Dammy says, it, you th- she thinks it depends, it depends. To be honest. Over familiarity can breed dishonor, okay? However, it doesn't always. However, it doesn't always. Sometimes. Sometimes. It even helps the person honor more. Learning to know the person or helps you respect him or All right. Okay. Great. I mean, now we've heard a perspective. Someone even says that, in fact, seeing the person's real side—that they're down to earth, they're approachable—can help you honor them and respect them even more. Do you guys agree with that?
1: <laughs>
0: okay. Joker says yes. It's absolutely possible. Great. Let me give you an example in the scriptures. John chapter 13, verse 23. This, when I read this scripture, it blew my mind. It renewed and it blew my mind. <laughs> I don't know which one came first. But John 13, verse 23. Look at this. We're going to read till verse 25. Verse 25. Are you there?
1: John 13,
0: 23 to 25. It says, Now there was, a, there was, now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Verse 24. And for just an expo, who do you think is saying is the disciple that Jesus loved? Can you guess? There's a guy we call when we list the disciples of Jesus, we say John the be Beloved. And that's, that's this guy. The person who is writing this book would address himself <laughs> as the one that Jesus And I loved it. Versus you saying, I'm the one that loved Jesus. Like, I love the perspective of the one whom Jesus loves. It's his love first. He loved us first. I love it. But he says, Look, Simon Peter, therefore, motioned to him. <laughs> it's almost as if there was that level of intimacy. If you want to get the gist, gist, ask the guy who's literally leaning on Jesus. Like, think about that image. The God of all creation, the King of the earth. You are lying on his chest. Like you are chilling. That's the picture. And he said, this was around the time when he wanted to know who was going to betray the Lord Jesus. And he was like, I'm signaling to him. Ah, Joe boy, John, tell him now. Ask him, ask him, who's the person? And then leaning back on Jesus' breast, chest, bosom, <laughs> he said to him, Lord, who is it? So he actually, like, this picture blew my mind that there was this level... Of accessibility, this level of familiarity, this closeness, this bond. It was so incredible. And then we see in Revelation 28, 22 verse 8, after an angel brings this revelations, you know, and, and appears to John, John bows down to worship not even Jesus, the King of Kings, not the Lamb that was saying, the angel. An angel had to beg him, Look, I'm I am just a messenger like you. Like I am just like you. Don't bow down. Like just to think about that, that this is someone who would honor the king of kings but could be so close to him at the same time and he could rest on him. Are you following? My own perspective is it can happen. It takes extra discipline. And let me be honest, I do speak to a lot of of ministers and it's hard to, to even hear the things they say. People that have labored over their members, they have spent hours in the world. They, they are up at 2 a.m. counseling you for some urgent matter. Like They are sacrificing for you. And then all of a sudden, you just take that for granted. Sometimes even will leave the church for one petty reason or the other. The person does not reply to you on time, so you leave the church. I hear these things, and I'm like, well, if only people were mature.
1: And some ministers now make a decision because of that and say, look,
0: People have their place. Like, I'm going to put you in your place. Come on Sunday, I teach. That's the end of our relationship. Because they don't want to be hurt. Because they have to protect their heart. You see, human beings will be human beings at the end of the day. I know that. I prepared my heart for it. And I will keep leading with love as long as God helps me, which he will always do. (laughs) But the point is this. Must it get to a point where you scar that minister of the gospel by your dishonor so much so that it starts to affect their other relationships? And now they start to put that barrier with everyone just because of you. It shouldn't be. There there ought to be a level of closeness where you can hug, you can be in the same space. There's there's this down-to-earthness about you. You're not uptight with your suits, unapproachable light, And you are this person that is up there, high up there. The picture I see of leadership is one who is washing the feet of his disciples. He's washing their feet. He's eating with them. So, So they come to arrest him. They don't even know who is Jesus. They look the same. They dress the same. They talk the same. That is what I'm talking about. But if you, oh, if only even in spite of that, you can still see that this is my ministry gift. This is the one who has labored over me, my shepherd, and I will honor you. That as they meet your spiritual needs, you meet their material, physical, emotional needs as much as you can. This is God's will for the church. And Paul is admonishing it. There are some leaders who are raised in the Thessalonian church. And they say, look, these people who have been amongst you, myself included, Silas included, who planted this church, honor us. We ask you to honor us. (laughs) It is God's will for you today. He says it to do in love. Honor in love. Lead with love. Anticipate their needs before they even have to mention it. Like, be a loving person. Anticipate they have needs and meet those needs. Be the one. If you cannot, look for a way to do that. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. This helps, and to be fair, uh, of course, it's not excusable. I know of some ministers of the gospel that started out honest, they, they wanted to be honest. They wanted to be true to the word of God. But because of condition, and because the people did not love them and esteem them very highly, they started to look for ways to manipulate. And the message changed from, it's Jesus and nothing else to, it's Jesus, but you need to drop something. It's Jesus, but you need to receive this healing as a dimension. Start to put this amount of money. In it. And people started to do gimmicks because the love was not there. If they had the love, if they had the respect, the honor, beyond just, sir, beyond just God bless you, sir, God bless you, man. If they had it, maybe things would have turned out differently. So it's healthy that as we honor each other, we also specifically, in this context, honor those placed above us.
1: Does that make sense?
0: Will you make a decision to do better in that regard? To grow in your honor for those God has placed above us? over your care. I hope you will. In Jesus' name, may the Lord help you. Verse 14. Now we exhort you, brethren. This is what we are are telling you to do. This is an instruction. Warn those who are unruly. Comfort the faint-hearted. Uphold the weak and be patient with all. Elisha he's saying we are to do the reverse of what Cain did. We are to be our brother's keepers. We are to be our brother's keepers. We are to be mindful of the brethren. And how do you do that? How are you mindful of the brethren? He gives four ways. Number one, to do what? Warn those who are what? Unruly. That's number one. So we are not to turn a blind eye to someone's mistakes in the body. We are to call it out when we see the issues. Don't go behind their backs to talk about it. Don't gossip. Don't slander. If someone is messing up and you are angry and is touching you, talk about it. So it's okay. Talk about it. See your mind. It's fine. Do it in gentleness, in meekness. If they don't take the correction, you've done your job. But the, idea, the language Paul says, he said, warn those who are misbehaving. If you see someone that is acting out of character, put them back in line. Put them, don't say it's not my business, they can do what they want. Maybe, don't do that. Call them aside. And um, I noticed you said something. You used foul language, and you addressed someone else this way. I, it, it's not the way we do. We don't lead that way. We lead with love, with respect, with honor. And I just wanted to share with you, I don't want to have carried it, and then talk uh, talk about it behind you. I want to talk to you directly. I just want to encourage you that you can do better. You know. And if someone is truly um, humble and teachable, they will take the correction. They will do better. But to turn a blind eye, ah, it's, just, it's wrong. There's a limit to minding your business. <laughs> there is. But when it comes to, to the unity in the church, that we are well-rounded, true and true, ah, you, you must talk. Oh. Even if it is those who are leaders up over you. Those who are shepherding over you, talk about it. Even though they should not do that, talk about it. The second thing is comfort what? The faint-hearted. To those who are weak, um, those who need... And faint-hearted just means someone who is weak, who is afraid, who is lacking courage. Encourage. That's what he's saying. To be mindful of your brothers by by encouraging them. Seek every opportunity... To say something that encourages them, that inspires them, and specifically in the context that the Thessalonian church was facing a lot of tribulation, we, we we saw this last week. A lot. This is a time where people are scared, where they just want to. This if if I'm being persecuted so much for my faith, then maybe I should just take a break. Maybe maybe it's not working out between us. Maybe maybe we should just you know see each other, see other people. <laughs> let's just let's just take a break and pause on this. And then you say, no, 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 look, we're here for life. If Jesus was wi- was willing and ready to die for us, we should be able to do the same. But God will preserve us, encourage them, don't worry, it's all um, a win in the end. It's all going to be fine. You encourage those who are weak. And of course, similarly to the next one, uphold the weak. Strengthen those who are weak. Because yeah, we've talked about it. the devil looks for his weak, for the weakest links. When he's roaming about, looking okay, for whom to devour, the, 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 the the picture, the metaphor there, where it says he's, he's like a lion looking for whom to devour, you know, is a picture of what a lion actually does when the lion goes to hunt. It, the lion looks out for the weakest link and attacks that person. So you're going to strengthen everyone's bond so that the body of Christ is not susceptible to the attacks of the enemy. All right, people who are weak physically, people who are weak in their jobs, they are tired of life. People who are weak in their convictions, strengthen them. Remind them who they are and whose they are. The last one is to be, patient, to be patient with all, I beg your pardon. We are called to forbear. We are called to anticipate people who make mistakes. And in fact, linking to the first thing I said, which is to what? warn those who are unruly. There's a patience that even when you've warned this person, time and time again, they can still make mistakes. And it takes patience to say, ah, okay, you know what? This person is growing, just like I was growing, and just like I am still growing in different areas of my life. And so I need to treat them with grace, be patient with their process, and not get upset because some things are repetitive. Do you understand? To patiently help a person in their growth.
1: That's what it is. It just reminds me of
0: God's love, right? Their habits may linger, their flaws may repeat, mistakes might might resurface but god expects us to be patient with all people does that make sense verse 15. see that no one renders evil for evil to anyone but always pursue what is both good what is good both for yourself and for all
1: right pursue
0: what is good both for yourselves and for all so see that no one renders evil for evil to anyone if someone offends um, and, and makes a mistake don't revenge don't give room for revenge. Look at Romans chapter 12 Let's just do a cross-reference here. Romans chapter 12 from verse 17. Oh Glory to God Romans chapter 12 From verse 17 Are you there? This is Paul writes into the Romans and he says this repay no one evil for evil have regard for good things in the sight of all men If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. I like that phrase, as much as depends on you. Like, your own part of the peace, of making peace, do it. Do your part. Live peaceably with all men. Verse 19, beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him drink. For in so doing, you he will heap coals of fire on his head. Verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Does that make sense? I was watching what was this, what was this movie? Sound of Music recently. And those of you who've watched Sound of Music, God bless you. Um, the Lord smiles on you. If you've not, uh, okay. Yeah. But <laughs> well, it's a good movie. Um, Sound of Music. I remember that scene where Fraulein Maria had just arrived, you know, and, and I mean, this was like what the twentieth governess or like nanny. Let me use that word. Was going to take care of seven children of Captain Von Trapp, and so they always sabotaged all the previous people just to get their father's attention. And so they put, I think, a frog. <laughs> they put a frog in her pocket. And she was screaming, and she was like, ah, crazy stuff. And they thought, oh, that would be it you you. Like, I'm tired of these kids. I'm not doing it again. She came at dinner. She sat down. You know, and how does she start? That like, oh, before we eat, I just want to say a big thank you to the kids. And they were there watching. Um, and the, 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 of course, the father had no idea. She was like, I just want to say a big thank you because in the time where I needed it most, where I needed to feel welcome and loved and accepted, you gave me such a precious gift. You're talking about the frog, the live frog. You gave me such a precious gift. I'm so grateful for that. And before long, this guy started to cry. Guilty conscience. Just yes. so heaping coals of fire on their head, literally. And I found that it's the best way to live, to be honest. I've shared many stories, but the one I will never forget is the time where someone did everything they could to sabotage my image for no just reason. In fact, today, thankfully, when we talk about it and reminisce, it's like, I don't even know why I did that. Like, to be honest, like, she just feels like the devil was controlling her to do the things she did. So someone I invested time training her in some crafts, um, in writing, and spoken word and stuff. And I just like, why, how, you know? And one day she she came and she was expecting that. I wanted nothing to do with her and everything. And my response was, can I just give you a hug? And it blew her mind. It blew my mind too because that was not what I planned to do. (laughs) But it does something where we don't revenge. We don't pay evil for evil. That when people do evil to us, we bless them who curse us. We love those. And he was even saying to your enemies, how much more your brothers? Alright? Make sense? So our response to hatred, our response to evil deeds is to outshine the evil, like people have planned, how can I do bad to damage you, you see, how can I do good to overcome the damage you want to do, (laughs) that's the perspective, when people are planning and mapping how to destroy your life you plan and map how to love them and the love of Christ will grip them and hold them, because you don't wrestle against flesh and blood, not human beings, they are principalities and powers and work controlling, influencing people, and we must be careful not to fight the wrong battles. Verse 16. Rejoice always. I love this instruction. Rejoice always. Always be found rejoicing. In the good, in the bad, in the ugly. Wah, wah. Rejoicing. Sorry. Did you guys watch that movie? Good, bad, and ugly? Okay. Wow. That was a good one, right? Hang here. <laughs> But yeah, Peter and John in Acts chapter 4 or 5? I think it's 5. Yeah, verse 44 I think. Acts chapter 5. So Peter and John were, were, were told that they should never speak about the name of Jesus ever in their lives. And they flogged them as a remembrance. Let <laughs> us just remind you what to expect if you do this again. They flogged both of them, elderly men, publicly, whipped them I said, if you mention Jesus' name, we will find you. And we will get you. I mean, how does he he say it? I will find you. And I will kill you. (laughs) And they will be taken. But anyways, the point is, they left with an attitude. If they flog me, I can't tell you what I will say. But definitely, in my right natural sense, the first thing that will come to my mind is, is to take a break. Don't try. I suffer for Jesus. I need to go and leave. Ouch. Yeah, you've got dealt with us. You just go and relax. Have a vacation. When you're ready, Lord, you is it time? All right, so you go back again. But these guys left rejoicing. Like it just tells you something happened to these guys. The coward called Peter, and many times you call Peter a coward. All of them were cowards, though. Maybe except John, who finally came back. At the cross to be with the mother, um, Jesus's mother. All of them were cowards. It's just Peter that made a promise and broke it. That we are, that we know of. Every one of them deserted Jesus. I hope you know. So these cowards, former cowards, now are being persecuted for the name of Jesus, and they are leaving this place rejoicing. Glory! Yes, we suffer for Jesus. And the Bible says straight away they started to preach from house to house. Hey. What about Paul and Silas? You know the story of them. You're locked in prison. You don't know what your fate is. You're probably going to be executed. Killed the next day or within the week. And your first response is, see, let's just worship the Lord. The Bible says they sang hymns and they praised the Lord. Danced to the Lord. And then what happened? God intervened. What if they were just in doubt and fear? and cr- crumbling under anxiety. But the Bible says rejoice always. Rejoice always. Can you say I? I will be found rejoicing. Be found rejoicing. Always. 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 Verse 17. It says pray without what? Ceasing. Pray without ceasing. What does ceasing mean? Without stopping. Is that possible what did Paul mean by this pray without ceasing this is the exact opposite of what he means to faint when Jesus was sharing the narrative and the parable of Luke um, 18 in Luke 18 about the, the the widow who went to a judge to have her any you know have herself avenged and all of that He says that Jesus our Lord was sharing this parable, teaching us that men ought to what? Pray, ought always to pray and not to faint. Ought always to pray and not to faint. And the not fainting doesn't mean yes, not not passing out. It means don't lose heart. That's what it means. Praying without losing heart. How do we do this practically? How do you actually pray without season? Do you have an idea? Pray without season. See I'm not saying that <laughs> this is not an awkward instruction of maybe you're in a business meeting and you're presenting and you're saying so you see statistically our bottom line has increased times two and then our top line uh, Mr. Vice President is now times three of what we had in Jesus mighty name of prayer. You see, gotalata, sorry guys, I need a minute. <laughs> just, just if anything like that happens, just reach out to me. We'll, we'll try to help you get a new job. <laughs> all right. Uh, <laughs> that's all Paul is saying. What he just means is have, like I always say, a procession of devotion. A consistent procession of devotion where you're not just having pockets and... And period of time in your life where you just say, Oh, you know what? For this time of day, I'm just gonna and you should. You should have your special time of devotion with the Lord alone with no distractions. But like I always say, your whole life ought to be what? A prayer session. Your whole life. Your whole life. You're on the go, you are praying to your father. You're about to go somewhere, you're praying. You're about to eat, you're praying. About to watch a movie, you are praying. You're about to evangelize, you are praying. You're about to read a book, you are praying. Are you with me? Like just practicing, as they would say, and carrying the presence of God. You have the presence, but practicing the presence has this gives this idea of being conscious, being aware that God is with you, that you can communicate. There is no barrier. There's free access, full access, 24 seven. Are you with me? Full access to the Father. You can communicate anytime that you want. And he's saying pray without ceasing. That's your sustenance. That's what keeps you. That's what preserves you as the day approaches. Pray without ceasing. If you want to see God move, pray. You want to see yourself grow, pray. You want anxiety to be ridden off, pray. You want to grow more in love with the Lord, pray. Like prayer is your sustenance. It's your bread and butter pray without season. It's necessary for your growth. Verse 18. And it says this. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Can you echo this with me? In all things, in everything, I will give thanks. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for me. Thanksgiving is God's will for my life. That in all things, I give thanks. Glory to God. When you see rejoice always and you see in all things give thanks and always be found praying, (laughs) it tells you the frequency that you should be found just loving the Lord and experiencing His goodness. Rejoicing, praying to Him and thanking Him. In the good, o, the bad, o, the ugly. In life, thank Him. In death, thank Him. Because death is not the end. Amen. Yeah. In every circumstance. In strength, thank Him. Right? Philippians 4, 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When there's strength, thank Him. But when you are weak like Paul, boost in your weakness. Because then you find God's strength in you. Does that make sense? Yes, That's what governed all the apostles in their dealings. That's what made them seem abnormal. But this is our new normal. To be rejoicing always. To be thankful always for that terrible job you have. For that terrible boss you have. Give thanks. Not just because. (laughs) Easier said than done, right? Not just because there could be worse. You know, we say be thankful because, I mean, at the end of the day, it could have been worse. That's not why. That's not why. Because even in the bad times, God always brings a way of escape for us. He always makes a way out of the trouble, t- troublesome times for us. In those bad times, he is good. He's a very present help in time of need. That is why we give thanks. That is why every good and perfect gift comes from him. So give him thanks. You have a job that you hate, but somehow you still have your salary. And even if they are withholding your salary, you've not gone homeless. You've not gone a day without food. There's always something to give God thanks for. Always. Be a grateful person. Let us not talk to you. And the first thing you say is, ah, this country. In fact, <laughs> I really don't like negative people. I don't. Because negativity and, and people just call it pessimism. But pessimism is, is a gateway to doubt is a gateway to fear. People just give it nice names pessimism. I'm a pessimistic person, I'm realist, I'm a realist, I'm a cynic. What you're saying is you're one step to doubting, you're one step away from faith. You must be the person that we, we hear in your tone that even in times that are difficult, even though the economy seems to be crashing, inflation is rising. God, I thank you. Things are bad, but God is good. And God will do... Like just, just be a, a channel of positivity. Someone who looks at the good side. You are the, you are the cup half full kind of person. And I'm not doing... This is not motivational speaking. This is, this is Bible. That your outlook on life is through the lens of God. That you look for the good in the bad. Actively. That you see God's sovereignty in weaving these things together. That like Paul, you can be beaten, mocked, shipwrecked, hungry. And you know that God is still with you. That in your weakness is your strength. It's not normal. And we are not normal. Newsflash. Amen. But I can't help but see a similarity. If you look at this, follow me. Verse 16 says, rejoice always. Verse 17 says, pray without season. Verse 18 says, give thanks. Let me show you something. Philippians chapter 4. can't help but see a similarity. Philippians 4, we're going to read from verse 4 to 7. Very quickly. Verse 4 to 7. It says this. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. In case you missed it the first time. Again, I say rejoice. Did you see that? Rejoice in the Lord how many times? Always. Always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. And it says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication to pray without ceasing. With what? Thanksgiving, which is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Let your requests be made known to God. And there is a promise that comes with it. What happens? Verse 7 and the peace of God the supernatural peace of God that passes all that you can think all that you can imagine will flood your heart will overtake, overwhelm your heart so that in perilous times you are just at peace and it doesn't make sense and people expect you to complain and people expect you to be broken down and to be depressed and to be worrisome and to just not know what to do to be handicapped and backed up against the wall. but somehow there's a strength There is a peace. You are calm. Uh -uh. You lost how much? Two million naira. And you're like this. God is in control. God is (laughs) (laughs) where. Will we be a people of gratitude? Will we be a people of prayer? And much rejoicing. I pray to God that we are. So shall we be in Jesus' name. Verse 20. Do not despise prophecies. Like I said, again, this portion of the scriptures, there is a, there's not necessarily a, should I say, a systematic flow of thoughts, but what he's trying to do is to make sure that he's, not, he's covering all bases, alright? So, verse 20, he says, do not despise, what? Prophecies. Any issues? Oh, we didn't read verse 19. I beg your pardon. Why is it missing from my notes? Sorry. Thank you for calling that out. Verse 19. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19. Thanks for that. All right. This is what it says. Do not quench the spirit. How is it missing? Because I had a whole, like I had notes on it. Maybe I am saying deleted it. I had a whole note on this. Oh, terrible. Anyways. (laughs) Do not quench the spirit. This is all too familiar. If you missed Ignite Conference, I did a whole teaching on this. That was actually what the teaching was. Do not quench the spirit. And I don't want to spend too much time doing that. But do not quench the spirit. the, The picture you have is the spirit as a fire. And it's saying don't put him out. Don't extinguish him. And with fire comes what? Passion. Comes desire. Comes intensity. So when the Lord leads you by his spirit to do certain things, don't quench him. Don't silence his voice. Sometimes cartoons try to get the picture right. You know, when you're about to make a decision, there's one guy in red with horns telling you, Hey, bro, do it. There's this one guy in white. "Do, Do it. And that's sort of like the picture that the spirit has with the flesh. Right? The spirit is telling you, do the will of God. And the flesh is just indulge. Just this last time. Nobody is watching. Nobody's here. You're not hurting anyone. Do not quench the spirit when he leads you. But I believe that contextually, when he says, do not quench the spirit, it leads to the next verse, which is verse 20, which he says, do not despise Prophecies. I do believe they are linked. I do believe they are linked. So, when prophecies come, don't despise prophecies. And there are a group of people which I wish I had time to talk about them, but I don't, um, who they they call themselves cessationists. These are people that believe that the gifts of the Spirit stopped in the apostolic age. Right? So, people that believe that the gifts of the Spirit, or what they call sign gifts, prophecy and healing, especially. Prophecy, tongues, and healing that is seized with the apostles, the first-generation, first-century apostles, and for ridiculous reasons, right? But we are continuationists. But, I mean, he's saying, look, when prophecies come, don't despise them. Don't reject them. Heed them. Heed them. And then it still links to the next verse, to verse 21. Test all things and hold fast what is good. All things is not just... You are about to walk on the road. You now see water. You now test it. Hmm. This is not good. (laughs) It doesn't test every single thing. It's it's a call to discernment. Is It's a call, first and foremost, to discern prophecies. So don't despise prophecies, but test them. Actually test them. The Bible says we should judge prophecy. Paul says that in 1 Corinthians 14. When prophecy comes, judge it. If it is true, take it. He said, hold fast to that which is good. That is what he said. But even more so, this was a time, and you'll see him address it as he goes on in the next episode in 2 Thessalonians. But this was a time where false teachers were rising. It's the devil's strategy it's always been. That when there's good happening, somehow in the church, some people who have ill intentions start to just come into the, the body and pollute them with the wrong doctrine, with wrong prophecy. So that's why he's bringing this caution to them. Don't quench the spirit. Don't despise prophecy. It's good. It's part of what the spirit gives to the body to give direction. They needed direction. They're in a place where they were being persecuted and prophecy charts the course that we should take in the will of God. Does that make sense? Yes. And so don't despise it, but more so test it. Test that people are not, ravenous wolves are not coming in, in sheep's clothing to, to, to deceive you. Test what they are saying. And hold fast to that which is true. When they teach, false teachers will rise, but test what they are saying. Test that it's true. You will know because I've taught you. And the Spirit of God is in you to to give you conviction. Does that make sense? It says hold fast. It's like what um, language you use for glue. To to adhere to something, to stick to something. So if it is true and it it resonates with your spirit, by the discernment of the Spirit that what has been said is true, hold on to it for your dear life. Because that's the direction you need to to survive. For example, when prophet Agabus said there was a famine to come and told them to prepare for the famine, it was deemed to be true and they prepared for the famine and guess what? It saved them, literally. That's what prophecy does. It can protect and also preserve the people. Praise the name of Jesus. Verse 22, abstain from every form of evil. I could do a whole teaching series on this, but it says abstain. Every form of evil, run away from every type of good deed. Now, in the context, it could mean false teachers, false prophets, falsehood. But literally every form of evil, run, abstain. Do not be found doing evil, but be found doing the will of God. Verse 23. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And this is one of the scriptures that lets us know that man has a tripartite structure or nature. It says, may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at that. He's saying God planned to save all of you. Like, when I say all of you, I don't mean everyone. I mean all of you. The entirety of you as a person. Your spirit, your soul, your body. God's plan of salvation is to save. Your spirit has been saved. Glory to God. Your spirit has been transformed into his own spirit, into his image. You have the new life. You're a new creation. But your soul, which is the seat of your mind, your intellectual will, is still being renewed. It's not perfected yet. Your body, which can be sick, can feel pain can, can express accidents, can, can physically die, has not been changed yet. So he's praying that God preserves you, that you receive the full package when He returns, the full package of your salvation. And just because we're on this topic, I want to address this. What do you think? It's been said, and I don't want to do some name calling, but there are some significant fathers of the faith who have said that man is simply a spirit. Man is spirit. That's all that he is really. But God puts man in a body and gives him a soul. But man, majorly and primarily, is a spirit. Do you agree? I'm giving you assignments, Think about it. If man we just a spirit primarily. In what way is he made different from the angels, who are spirit beings? Are you with me? And if man were only spirit, then how does man have free will, since free will resides in the soul? And if the body were not necessary, why is God giving man new spiritual bodies when he returns? Can a man be a man without any of these parts to him? I think you know the answer. Verse 24. <laughs> Enough said. 24. He who calls you is faithful. Who will who also will do it? So this God that I'm praying to, I'm not just praying because I'm hoping. Wishful thinking. I'm praying because I know that God is able. He is faithful to actually keep you and save all of you. First Peter one verse five tells us that that God can be trusted to keep you. First Peter one verse five. I read from verse forty five. It says we are risen to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. You who are kept by the power of God. Say I'm kept by the power of God. Not just God will keep me, he, he's, he preserves me already. Through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. That's it. That salvation, that will be com- the complete package of salvation. It says we are kept by the power of God. Not by our ability, not just by hidden instructions, not just by willpower, but by the power of God. Say it again. I am kept, I am kept. by the power of God. When God sees me on that last day, he meets me ready, and I am preserved in Jesus' name. Jude 1 verse 24. It has only one chapter. Verse 24 says this. Now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling, from falling, and is able to present you blameless and faultless before the presence of his glory, with
1: exceeding joy. When I see
0: this scripture, the person that comes to my mind is Expo. That's what I see. That's what I see. It's it's an examiner setting the questions for you to answer. And while you're answering the questions in the exam hall, he's giving you the answers. And you will present that script to the person that gave you the answers to mark you. That's Expo now. So he's saying God will <laughs> is able to keep you and then he will, when he keeps you and makes you to whom you are supposed to be, he will then present you to himself in his glory to be judged. <laughs> How well will you do? You will do well. you will do well. And that's the point. He's going to preserve, present you to himself blameless.
1: When the work is done, when the sanctification
0: is done, you will, be, you will be brand new, blameless, faultless. If you let him do his work, glory to God. Verse 25. Brethren... Pray for us. Who is us? He's talking about himself. Talking about Silas and maybe even Timothy. Pray for us. We have work to do, not just with you, but amongst other brethren that you've been made aware of. When you read previous chapters, you see he's talked about some other congregations. So he's instructed them, pray for us, especially for the work God has called us to do as apostles. Verse 26. Greet all the brethren with what? That's holy kiss, by the way. If you didn't know, shall I do it again? Mwah. That's holy kiss. <laughs> of course, um, contextually, this was the practice in that in that in that culture. This was the practice of greeting. And to some people, some of my um, colleagues and friends um, across the world, the, the way you greet them is just very different. There's so people who like minimal contact. But there are people that they need to kiss you to know that you care about them. And it's not necessarily lip-to-lip action. It is a way of just greeting. You know how they do, oh, hi, mwah, mwah. That's it. That's, that's a holy kiss. <laughs> I think. It's <laughs> just sanctified. It. It's a sanctified kiss. It's reserved for those in the body. But, of course, culturally speaking, if we we're going to do this, it's a holy handshake or a holy hug. Does that make sense? And if you want to do a holy kiss, fine. If that's how you greet, with eh? S- 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 <laughs> <laughs> in this, mi- <laughs> just be guided. <laughs> Amen. Holy kiss is there's a reason why he said holy. Just, the, just, just leave it like that. So, <laughs> like that. holy handshake is our culture. And in some cases, holy hug. Yeah. Right. Verse 27, I charge you by the Lord that this epistle (laughs) be read to all the holy brethren. I mean, just read this letter to everyone. That's how they did it. So he will send Timothy to deliver the letter. And one of the leaders there, you know, would maybe even the pastor there would read it out to them like I am doing right now to you and charging you to do these things. Verse 28, oh, wow, we made it. Guys, we made it! Yay. Woo! And on time! Let's go! Amen. My enemies will be put to shame. Amen. Verse 28. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, Lord Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus
1: Christ be with you. I didn't hear an amen.
0: The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. May the grace of the Lord strengthen you. May the grace of the Lord allow you to be who he wants you to be. May the grace of the Lord help you be sanctified into his image. May the grace of the Lord help you to honor those put over leadership in you, over you. Let the grace of the Lord help you rejoice. I am super confident that this has been a blessing to you. Keep praying with it and let these words drive you to action to live in the fullness of the will of God for your life. Stick around for more. God bless you. I love you.